Daniel Brooks made his first appearance in court today, two days after he allegedly killed five people and injured dozens more by ramming his SUV through a Christmas parade in the city of Waukesha, Wisconsin. Questions remain as to why the 39-year-old was even on the street after reports surfaced that he was released on $1,000 bail just before the deadly attack. The latest evidence of the real-life consequences that left-wing criminal justice policies are destroying communities around the nation. I'll get into that in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. So we have a number of criminal justice stories to address today. First off, the mass murder in Waukesha. We should remember that is what occurred here. It was intentional. Here is the individual who is believed to have committed this mass murder via his vehicle, a truck that he drove over people during a Christmas parade in Wisconsin. Uh, they were packed together. He intentionally ran them over. He didn't seem to care in the least. In fact, a law enforcement officer tried to shoot him as he was driving the vehicle. You see some of it here. Tried to shoot him and stop him. Unfortunately, he was unable to do so. Well, we have an update for you. Here's Dan Thompson, the Waukesha uh, police chief, who says that the suspect was at the scene of a domestic disturbance right before this. At 4.39 p.m. on Sunday, November 21st, 2021, a lone subject intentionally drove his maroon SUV through barricades into a crowd of people that was celebrating the Waukesha Christmas parade, which resulted in killing five individuals and injuring 48. We have information that the suspect prior to the incident was involved in a domestic disturbance, which was just minutes prior, and the suspect left that scene just prior to our arrival uh, to that domestic uh, disturbance. He was at a domestic disturbance. And so the media now has a, a narrative that in order to escape the domestic disturbance situation, he found a crowded parade and ran over a bunch of innocent people. Well, what's the motive? Why did he do this? Well, they won't tell us that quite yet. I think we all have some ideas as to what that might be all about. Here is Dan Thompson of the Waukesha Police again saying that the suspect here, Brooks, intentionally drove through the police barricade and kept going, kept running over people. This was in no way a surprise. It was in no way an accident. He was mowing innocent people down. Here's the police chief saying that. I'll tell you this, we actually had a squad in barricades up and he drove right through uh, the barricades and the officers. When the officer tried to engage and stop the threat, he still continued through the crowd. So this was all intentional. Why did he do it? Well, they don't want to figure that out too quickly, I suppose. The suspect, Daryl Brooks, recently had been released from custody, um, and he had allegedly run over a woman. That's what led to him being arrested in that case. He was accused of driving over a woman who was believed to be the mother of one of his children, sending her to the hospital, leaving tire marks on her pant leg. And that Assault resulted in the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office, which of course is prosecuting the case, uh, letting him out on a $1,000 bail. Now they're saying they're launching an internal review of the prosecutor's inappropriately low $1,000 bail. Oh, I guess it looks bad now to be letting violent criminals out with a slap on the wrist, especially when that violent criminal goes on to 
murder five people and uh, severely injure and maim dozens more. Are the Democrats upset about this in a way that makes them change any of their positions, any of their thoughts on criminal justice reform, bail reform, any of that? No, of course not. Democrat politicians instead are focusing on, it seems, the Rittenhouse case and other things out there. Representative Jerry Nadler has called for a federal review of the Rittenhouse case. He says this heartbreaking verdict is a miscarriage of justice and sets a dangerous precedent with just, which justifies federal review by DOJ. Justice cannot tolerate armed persons crossing state lines looking for trouble while people are engaged in First Amendment protected protests. Now, let me be very clear. Jerry Nadler is a moron. Okay, start with that. He's a little coward, a sniveling little coward and an idiot and will say anything, anything that will appeal to the dumbest, most sanctimonious libs he can possibly find in his district to keep voting for him. It's an appallingly stupid statement that he's put out here. And first of all, it's a review by the federal government. How? What are they going to do? This was a state issue. A jury of Rittenhouse's peers found correctly he did nothing wrong. And he even throws the crossing state lines in here. He didn't cross state lines with a firearm. How many times do we have to go over this? He didn't break any laws. Sorry, Libs, you lost this one. You lied about it and you still lost. But Jerry Nadler is a disgusting disgrace, so he doesn't really care. Maybe they should focus on some other things going on. Oh, I don't know, like the destruction of major American cities because of insane Soros-backed prosecutors not wanting to actually punish criminals, not wanting to really deter violent and property crime, which has been skyrocketing in places like San Francisco. Here's San Francisco DA Chesa Boudin is trying to assure everybody, even after you have incidents like this, where dozens and dozens of people just run into a high-end store, steal everything in sight, not worried about the cops, not worried about getting prosecuted. Oh yeah, the San Fran DA wants you to know, don't worry, I'm, I'm doing a lot to keep you safe. Let me be clear. I am doing everything in my power to keep San Francisco safe and to make sure that people who come to our city to commit crimes are held accountable. This isn't a one-person job, and it's not a problem that's limited to San Francisco. As you pointed out a few moments ago, we're seeing these kinds of brazen robberies and burglaries all across the country without regard to who's in elected office. What we need to do is make sure that every agency plays its role. The police have the job of arresting and investigating these crimes. And when they do that, and when they bring me and my office arrests, we file charges and we prosecute. And then it's up to the judges to impose the appropriate sentence. Yeah, no one believes that guy. He's a, a slimy progressive and a liar. Um, and the media wants to make sure you know, let's not be offensive here, folks. Let's not use the term looting when describing the smash and grabs by dozens of people. Oh, experts caution the use of the word looting. Are the experts the looters? Because this makes no sense at all. But it's because they, they, don't want, they don't want problematic narratives to get out there. Well, who's doing all the looting and why and what's happening? Oh, no. Just be quiet. It's just property crimes, you see. Just destroying businesses. Lawlessness, disorder, theft, it's not a big deal. If you're a Democrat, you figure this is just the price of living in a big city. Or is it? Could we do something else? Could this be stopped or at least severely restricted and limited? Could they make this no longer what it has turned into, which is a free-for-all for criminals in major American cities? Wouldn't that be a great thing? Wouldn't that be something that we could all get behind, Democrat, Republican, everybody? 
unless there's something else going on here, unless social justice is really just a cover for the Marxist destruction of fundamental aspects of America so that they can build something anew on the ashes of this once great country. Just a thought. With President Biden's poll numbers in the toilet and several high-profile electoral upsets under their belt, the GOP is poised for a potentially historic victory in 2022. So how big could it be? New York Post columnist David Marcus gives us his take when we come back. I want to tell you about my friends at My Digital Money. Crypto is something you hear about a lot, right? You probably know people investing in it. Some of them might have made big gains already. How do you get started? Bitcoin, Ethereum, a lot of digital tokens out there. How do you buy your first tokens? What do you do? That's where My Digital Money comes in. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with incredible customer service. They'll actually answer your phone call and help you get started. Look, when it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals who have your back, speak to you honestly, and treat you like a human, not a number. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. That's MyDigitalMoney.com. And we'll be right back with more Hold the Line. Is a red wave approaching in 2022? The win in Virginia and the barn burner in New Jersey could point to a complete transformation of the 2022 midterm election map. It's changing all in favor of the Republican Party. In an op-ed for Fox News, David Marcus wrote, the current facts on the ground are daunting for Democrats. Joe Biden is about as unpopular as a Democrat president can be. The generic congressional polling has the GOP up almost an unprecedented 10 points. The left doesn't appear to understand it even has a problem. This is an opportunity for Republicans to achieve something they have not for at least a century. Lasting institutional political power. Oh my gosh, tell me more. David Marcus, columnist for the New York Post, joins now to break down the failures of the Democrat Party and what he's, uh, the case he's making, rather, in this article. David, good to see you. Nice to see you, Buck. Um, this is a strange article for me because I'm, I'm typically something of a pessimist. But, you know, in thinking about it over the last month, coming out of 2020, um, things looked pretty good for the Republicans for 2022. Essentially, the conventional wisdom was that a trade had occurred, that Democrats had solidified and, and advanced a little bit their gains among white suburban voters. But on the other side, the GOP had done a really good job making inroads with more diverse working class voters. And can, Republicans are pretty happy with that because uh, there was much more growth potential in that latter group. Once we saw the results in Virginia and New Jersey, though, suddenly Republicans were competitive in the suburbs again. If they can do both, right? If they don't have to make the trade, if they can have both of those, you're not only looking at a potential tidal wave in 2022, you're looking at the kind of coalition that really can have generational power. The president was yelling at the sky again, so to speak, David. Uh, he, he put out, or someone on his behalf put out this tweet, if you look at my presidency so far, it's a jobs presidency and a small business presidency. Uh, I, I got to say, the it's better than you think it is, plebes, stop complaining approach from the Biden White House. I don't think that's a winning message. I really don't. No, it's clearly not. Uh, it's clearly not a winning message because, you know, we, I think we've discussed this before. You know, inflation is, is one of those very few political issues that you just can't spin. It doesn't matter what Joe Biden says. If people go to the grocery store and, and it costs them an extra 40 bucks, uh, they know and it's a problem and, 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 and they want some solutions. Um, you know, it's interesting. 
there was, you know, there's been this talk of will Biden run again? And, and, and the book seems to be like he can't say I'm not running because that would throw chaos into the midterms. I think we might be at the point where the Democrats would be better off if he just said right now, I'm not running in 2024. And you could let that free for all happen. At least there would be some kind of moderate lane then. Right now, the Democrats are just in this lockstep off the cliff. And it's incredible to me. Job recovery, by the way, if we look at this, 17 of the top 20 states for jobs recovered since the pandemic are being led by Republican governors. Idaho leading the recovery percentage at 139.7% here on this chart or on this uh, graphic. The only three blue states in the poll are North Carolina, Colorado, and Washington. You also have 16 of the top 20 states with the lowest unemployment rates are led by Republican governors. Nebraska leads the unemployment percentage with a minuscule 1.9%. The only four blue states mentioned are Wisconsin, Minnesota, Virginia, and Kansas. So, uh, well, first of all, we're a blue state. Kansas isn't really a blue state, is it? Well, I guess a blue state governor. Um, I don't even know if that's true or not. I don't think that one belongs to the list. Point being here, not a lot of positive stuff to look at when you're talking about the Biden economic recovery. And if anything, it's the red states that don't listen to Biden and the Fauciites that are doing better. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and I mean, you know, to begin with, well, yeah, I mean, obviously there's going to be job growth after, you know, the year after we spent a year telling everyone you're not allowed to go to work. Um, so, I mean, just to begin with, it's kind of ridiculous to, to you know, claim this as, as some great victory. Um, but you're you're absolutely right. I, I mean, if if Biden was encouraging blue state governors to act more like red state governors, those numbers would would clearly uh, be higher. Look, the guys the guys clutching at straws. Um, it's 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 and it's not just this, right? It's the border. It's crime. It's education. It's every single issue. It's it's unbelievable. There are people now, even among Democrats, who wonder aloud, and I don't think it's new, but they're perhaps being more loud about it than they were in the past, that they're not sure Joe Biden's actually going to run again, David. Here is Jen Psaki, of course, trying to dispel those rumors because that would make him effectively a lame duck president. It would hurt his power and hurt the Democrats' grip on, on controlling all of us. But here's uh, Psaki bomb. Check it out. There were reports that President Biden was telling allies that he's going to run for re-election in 2024. Can you confirm, is he going to run in 2024? Is he telling staff that? Yes, that's his intention. Yes, that's his intention. Uh, I think it's, I mean, I, I know they'll say, oh, well, she said yes, but it strikes me that you don't need to add that, you know, no one had Donald Trump. Is he going to run again? That's his intention. <laughs> uh, he was running no, again, that, right, that, when he was in office. I mean, look, it's clearly carefully, you know, worded. And as I was just saying, like, I, I think there's potential benefit, like, this got floated back in 2019 because of concerns about his age and, and all this stuff where, you know, he said, I may just just go for one term. Now, you know, he probably should have said that, you know, months and months and months ago, if that is, in fact, his intention. Um, but my goodness, I mean, yeah, I mean, right now, what Democrat in their right mind would want him to, to run in, in 2024? I, I mean, he's, you know, barring some kind of miraculous turnaround. Uh, you know, he's really a sitting duck and he's just not the kind of politician who has miraculous turnarounds like a Bill Clinton can kind of like pivot and pull that off. Democrats can't pivot right now. And there's an interesting reason why Democrats turn every single issue 
into these incredibly stark moral terms, whether it's climate change, the police, you know, all of these things, racism, everything, where if, if you disagree with them, you're not just wrong. You are morally bankrupt. And that makes it really hard for them to pivot on any of these positions where they basically said, you know, it, it, it's my way or, or, you know, you're, you're an evil white supremacist. So I, I don't know what they do, man. It's amazing to see even someone who is as, you know, even-handed in a lot of his political analysis as Britt Hume saying, Biden's clearly deteriorating. Today he read off of a prompter, uh, you know, end, like end of statement. I mean, he, you know, he, he's, look, everyone can make mistakes when they're talking to the public eye a lot, but he does things that even someone, like I said, Britt Hume, who's a conservative guy, but not, not a right-wing bomb thrower by any stretch, is saying, I mean, he used the word senile, David. He's saying it's, it's clear that there's some senility with this individual, and Democrats act like we can't all see what we can see. It's a weird moment. I mean, you know, my my background was in acting, and I mean, there were a couple of times at table reads or something where maybe I accidentally read, read a stage direction, and we all laughed. You know, uh, didn't happen on stage. I, you know, it's it, it it's it's a it's a weird thing. It's it's it, it's not. You know, he's been doing this for thirty years. You don't just all of a sudden start reading the hypertext on your teleprompter. So yeah, you know me, I've, I've stayed away from the whole question of his mental fitness because I don't know the guy, I don't feel like I have access to know, but I mean, are there worry signs? Yeah, I mean, almost every day there are. It seems pretty clear. David, clarity coming from you all the time. Thanks so much. Great to see you. China's in the spotlight as Beijing prepares to host the 2022 Winter Olympics. Coming up, we'll talk to Gordon Chang about calls for the U.S. to boycott the event. Right now, let's talk about protecting your most valuable asset, your home. You have homeowner's insurance for a good reason. Without it, a fire, flood, or burglary could destroy you financially. But there's another major crime your homeowner's policy doesn't cover. It's called home title fraud. The FBI calls home title fraud one of the fastest growing crimes, and it can ruin you financially, which is why you need home title lock. Title fraud happens when a criminal forges your signature on documents stating you sold your home to him. Then he takes out loans against your home and leaves you with the payments. You'll spend a fortune in legal fees trying to prove you didn't commit fraud. Home Title Lock puts a barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect anyone from a cyber thief to a renter to a relative trying to forge their way onto your home's title, they help shut it down. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim. Enter code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. That's code radio at hometitlelock.com. Gordon Chang, coming up next. Stay there. President Joe Biden says he's considering a so-called diplomatic boycott of next year's Winter Olympics in Beijing. Chinese Communist Party aims to make the Games a propaganda triumph, and some are saying that not sending an official U.S. government delegation isn't good enough. Reported by the New York Post here, the diplomatic boycott would be a half measure that snubs the authoritarian nation by not sending the high-level U.S. officials to events like the opening or closing ceremonies. It would not ban U.S. athletes from participating, as some Republican officials have demanded. Joining me now is Gordon Chang, author of The Great U.S.-China Tech War, and go to his uh, Twitter handle, Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, good to see you. Thank you so much, Buck. What's going on here, Gordon? Should the U.S. do more? Are we doing enough? What does it mean for Beijing to be holding these Olympics? Bring us all up to speed. I think there are two things that we should do. 
First of all, we should not be sending athletes to the Beijing Olympics. We should be asking Beijing, asking the International Olympic Committee to move the games to a country that is not committing genocide, atrocities, and crimes against humanity. The other thing that I think we should be doing is demanding that the IOC ban Chinese participation in all Olympics. The IOC did that in the early 1960s to South Africa because a large portion of the South African population were not permitted to participate in sports. And that's true of China right as this moment because you've got Tibetans, Uyghurs, Kazakhs, and others who are subject to these crimes against humanity. They can't participate. The IOC should make this about athletes, and therefore they should ban Chinese participation until these atrocities end. And Gordon, do you think that the international community has any, anywhere near the courage needed to band together against China at this point on an issue like this to hold them accountable? Or is the Chinese Communist Party and the, the financial and political might that China wields just too much? Well, at this moment, the answer is no, the international community doesn't have the will. But things are moving very fast because of the Peng Shui incident. That's the tennis player in China who posted an allegation of rape against a former senior official. She was disappeared. And we have seen um, star athletes, the Women's Tennis Association, actually start a movement which could very well end in Beijing uh, losing the games. And we know that Beijing is concerned about this because on Sunday they trotted her out for a call with Thomas Bach, the head of the IOC. Now, if Peng were really trying to assure the international community of her safety, she would have talked to a broadcast, international broadcast network. She would have talked to um, Steve Simon, the head of the WTA, Women's Tennis Association, because the WTA has been leading the charge for her. But the IOC has been extremely quiet about her predicament. And so therefore, if it were up to her, she wouldn't be doing it. This is obviously Beijing worried about the games. President Biden held a virtual summit on Monday with Chinese President Xi Jinping. But the two leaders apparently didn't discuss the Olympics. This was reported by The New York Post. According to the White House, Biden and Xi discussed more than a dozen topics. It wasn't clear whether other hot-button issues came up, such as China refusing to cooperate with investigations into the origins of COVID-19, and China's leading role exporting illegal fentanyl, which was responsible for almost two-thirds of the more than 100,000 U.S. overdose deaths last year. So what is President Biden talking to Xi Jinping about, and, and what is the Biden administration policy so far, almost a year in here, with regard to China? Well, Biden policy has been directionless with regard to China. Um, part of it is recently they have been trying to get China's cooperation on climate change, and so they're overlooking all sorts of things. Um, you know, on COVID-19, this is just, to me, inexplicable. This is something that's killed about 770,000 Americans now, um, and Biden didn't really ask this at all. I mean, he didn't ask it in his two-hour February phone call with Xi Jinping. He probably didn't raise it in September for the 90-minute phone call. He didn't raise it this month in the video meeting. I, I think that this is just a complete dereliction of duty, a failure to protect Americans. Well, I wonder if you can shed some light on this uh, story as well involving China. Hunter Biden was reportedly part of China's takeover of key global metal supplies. We're only finding out about this now. It was reported uh, in The Federalist. They said that a New York Times investigation into 
Beijing's stranglehold on the material needed to make electric car batteries reveals that the president's son helped a key acquisition, and the paper offered an in-depth look into how, while the international agencies and the Biden administration are promoting electric cars, China has acquired a near monopoly on the resources needed to build batteries for those vehicles. I mean, first, talk to me about the Hunter Biden piece, if you can, if we know anything more about this, but also China getting essentially a stranglehold on what seems to be an increasingly important energy resource that has implications for the future. Well, it certainly does. This is Hunter Biden front running American policy to his financial benefit. He's a partner in Bohai Harvest RST, which is an investment fund. And Bohai Harvest actually arranged for a stake to be sold from a Canadian group, which held a minority interest to China Molybdenum. Um, which is now the majority or uh, basically sole owner of the mine. Um, we hear Jen Psaki say, well, you know, Hunter Biden's financial arrangements and dealings are not, uh, he's a private citizen, so they're not the appropriate topic for conversation at the White House. But Joe Biden, when he ran for president, actually talked about how his family would not have foreign dealings while he was president. And so I think it is a legitimate topic for concern. And I'd like to hear the president talk about his son's involvement in these Chinese deals, because it's not entirely clear that Hunter Biden has divested of his interest in Bohai Harvest RST. And, and that really means that uh, we're at a point where um, the Biden family can actually be directly benefiting from decisions that the president makes. Gordon, I just want to circle back for a second to a topic that you were addressing a few moments ago, because I realize now the control tells me we've got uh, some video of this. You mentioned Steve Simon, the Women's Tennis Association. I wanted folks at home to see what he said about Peng Shui's disappearance and what they're willing to do with the WTA. Watch. We're at a crossroads with our relationship, uh, obviously, with, our, with China. When we have a young person who has the fortitude to step up and make these allegations knowing full well what the results of that are going to be. For us to not support that and demand uh, justice as we go through it, and we're definitely willing to pull our business and deal with all the complications that come with it, um, because this is certainly, um, this is bigger than the business. Says willing to pull their business from China, that's a big deal. Yeah, that's about 10 tournaments that they've scheduled for next year. And this is a brave statement on the part of uh, Steve Simon. And this is something that the NBA should emulate and other leagues. And as well, as you know, we have a number of star players who have um, basically promoted Chinese communist narratives, among them LeBron James, who lectures us about racism, but endorses a company's products that were made by essentially forced and maybe even slave labor. Um, these are Uyghur women at a South Korean subcontractor that Nike had a long-term relationship with. So I think LeBron James needs to be held accountable by the American people and indeed um, a number of other um, organizations. But Steve Simon is indeed a, an exemplary figure right now because he is standing behind the player. And this is one woman who has taken on the mightiest communist state in history. This is really quite an this is quite an episode because the regime is panicking now. And, and this is just shows you how vulnerable these big states are. Gordon, appreciate you being with us. As always, thanks for the expertise. Thank you, Buck.
Disgraced former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is back in the news after an inquiry found, quote, overwhelming evidence of misconduct, including sexual harassment and abuse of power. We come back. New York City Councilman Joe Borelli stops by to discuss the details of this damning report. Right now, I want to tell you about my digital money. Crypto is all over the place these days, right? You're hearing about it. Bitcoin, Ethereum, there are a lot of digital tokens and people have made huge gains. So how do you get started? Well, that's where my digital money comes in. It's an easy to use self-trading crypto IRA platform with amazing customer service. They'll actually answer your phone call and help you get started. Your comfort and security is their absolute top priority and they offer you an unparalleled military grade security for your coins. When it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals who have your back, speak to you honestly and treat you like a human. That's what you'll get at My Digital Money. Go to MyDigitalMoney.com. Again, that's MyDigitalMoney.com. New York City Councilman Joe Borelli, up next. More than three months after he resigned from office, the truth is finally coming out about disgraced former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. A 46-page report, very damning one by the New York State Assembly Judiciary Committee was released on Monday and it found overwhelming evidence that Cuomo engaged in sexual harassment and also used state workers to write, publish, and produce his memoir, a likely violation of state ethics laws. Now lawmakers in Albany are sparring over whether or not to impeach Cuomo with much of the debate focused on whether the legislature has the constitutional authority to remove someone who has already left office. Here with reaction, New York City Council Member Joe Borelli. Joe, good to see you, buddy. Good to see you too, Buck. Thank you. Can, can you explain that last part first, actually, that there's a discussion about impeaching, even though he's resigned? Is that just to kind of send a message? What's going on here? Yeah, I mean, it, it is left to be determined whether a New York state officer, uh, public officer, can be impeached by the state assembly after they're uh, out of office. Uh, and it is one of those legal questions that would probably be more suitable for, for Harvard Law School, uh, a classroom in Harvard Law School, than an actual debate in the assembly. But when you have someone like Andrew Cuomo, who had to resign uh, in shame for all of the things that came out about him, yeah, now we're actually having this conversation in practice. And Joe, what was in this report? I mean, this report that's damning, he already had left office. So for a lot of folks that probably think, don't we already know everything? Apparently we didn't know everything. Well, tell us about the sexual harassment report on Cuomo. Well, don't forget, some of the things uh, that are parts of the criminal investigation uh, are potential witnesses, uh, potential grand jury testimony, things like that would not be made public. Uh, the state assembly is a public uh, uh, organization. It, it's a publicly uh, you know, visible organization. So documents there are made public. And this is one of those things that has been released fully. So the state assembly hired a, a team of lawyers, investigative lawyers, to do basically the same work as the attorney general and other criminal prosecutors and they uncovered a host of evidence. Uh, some of it is, is really, really, really uh, disturbing, especially someone like me who's a public officer. I mean, look, Buck, I'm in my office right now. If I use the, the city's Wi-Fi right now to send a, a campaign email or to make a stock trade, I, I'm potentially criminally liable. However, if you're Andrew Cuomo, you can get a $5.6 million book deal, make policy based on whatever, you know, turns the pages, I guess, whatever sells the most books, uh, and, and cover up your failures from the public. And all this is set during the backdrop of the, the, the most bona fide crisis we've had since 9-11. I mean, there's no question that COVID was a significant crisis the Cuomo administration had to face. And now we're finding out that people like, you know, Janice Dean, people like Ron Kim, people like me, people like 
so many others who are calling out this man for being a hypocritically, fundamentally bad human being this whole time were actually 100% right. The, the assembly report shows us that there is no saving grace when it comes to Andrew Cuomo, whether it's his book deal, whether it's his um, his sexual harassment, and whether it's all these other uh, swirling uh, allegations that surround him. Do you think there's any chance that Cuomo thinks he has a political future going forward, or is this guy done? No, he's a sociopath, Buck, so he's weighing his chances on running for uh, attorney general. Our, our current attorney general has said she's going to run for governor, uh, and that's her right. Uh, and there's an opening there, and there's about 11 or 12 people that are interested in it. So he's doing the math and realizing that he could probably still get 20 percent of registered Democrats uh, to vote for him uh, in spite of his allegations, his, his really corroborated allegations that he sexually harassed his own staff, covered it up, covered up nursing home deaths, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the, the book I mean, the list goes on and on. Wanted to switch gears with you for a second here, Joe. Art Handlers packed up an 884-pound statue of Thomas Jefferson on Monday after Mayor Bill de Blasio's commission voted to banish the likeness of the nation's third president from City Hall, where it has resided for nearly two centuries because they're banishing it, by the way, because of his ownership of slaves. Um, what is this all about? I mean, we know what's happening, but what's your reaction to it? Look, it, this is nothing new. The, the left has been trying to sideline our national history for many years. Uh, and this is the manifestation of critical race theory, of, of, of all these sort of progressive ideas of how uh, the American hi historical norms and American history uh, have been wrong about everything. This is the manifestation of it. We're taking away Thomas Jefferson. In Thomas Jefferson's hand, by the way, uh, in, this, in this statue is the Bill of Rights, uh, something that has liberalized uh, the lives of New Yorkers, something that has protected all New Yorkers against unreasonable searches and seizures, something that has preserved uh, the freedom of speech. Things that have led to the the, the nation that we have today uh, are in this statue, in his hand, as the Bill of Rights, and the far left just doesn't care. They see something as, as just it's almost monotheistic liberalism, right? They only see one thing. They see wokeness. And wokeness equals we have to get rid of everyone who ever owned a slave. Uh, and, and here we are. Here's a little flashback for folks. I'm sure a lot of them will remember this. Donald Trump warned us that this kind of thing was coming when he was president. Was George Washington a slave owner? Yes, so will George Washington now lose his status? Are we going to take down, excuse me, are we going to take down, are we going to take down statues to George Washington? How about Thomas Jefferson? What do you think of Thomas Jefferson? You like him? Okay, good. Are we going to take down the statue? Because he was a major slave owner. Now we're going to take down his statue. So you know what? It's fine. You're changing history. He seems to have a pretty, he had a pretty good grasp on exactly what was coming, Joe. And they said he was yeah, wrong, by the way. They said he was, he was fear-mongering at the time. It would never happen. It's kind of a toss-up between him and, like, the Simpsons for who predicts the future better. And in this case, you know, Trump was entirely right. And I think Trump actually made a good point. You know, Thomas Jefferson was a, a significant slaveholder in Virginia. And no one on sort of my side of the world, the right uh, people who want to preserve the historical record, we want to discount the fact that Thomas Jefferson ha had slaves and that slavery is wrong and all that. Um, but when you actually try to eliminate him from public spaces, you eliminate him from the panoply of our founding fathers 
fathers because of mistakes that he made during his life that were not seen as mistakes essentially during his life. Uh, we're, we're not doing any favors for the historical process uh, and the education of, of, of the public. Joe Borelli, good to see you, my friend. Thanks, Buck. Bad news for the people of Santa Cruz. An indoor mask mandate went into effect, and it says you better mask up in your own home. Yeah, two steps forward, then 10 steps back, friends. We'll get into the latest COVID lunacy coming up in quick hits. But first, have you ever wanted to invest in real estate, but you didn't have the time to do it on your own? Didn't want to make rookie mistakes. That's how I felt until I met my friends at Done For Your Real Estate. Done For Your Real Estate took all the guesswork out of it for me. They found me an amazing property, rented it out for me right away. They managed the tenant for me. Now I get a check every month like clockwork. Don't wait another second to see if my buddies at Done For Your Real Estate can do for you what they did for me. Visit doneforyoubuck.com to see how it works. Again, every step of the process, picking the city, the house, getting the loan set up, getting a tenant in place, and a management company to handle the whole thing for you. Just go to doneforyoubuck.com to see what my friends can do for you. Again, that's doneforyoubuck.com to begin your real estate investment journey. CNN claims the most frightening thing in America today is an angry white man. And Stephen Colbert says that since Rittenhouse was found not guilty, it's time to change the law. Well, it's definitely time for quick hits. Let's do it. Okay, so uh, CNN published this. It's not like CNN has this as their official position, but this was a CNN op-ed. Yeah, the specter of the, this is the quote I'm quoting here. The specter of the angry black man has been evoked in politics and popular culture to convince popular culture to convince white folks that a big, bad black man is coming to get them and their daughters. But as I've watched three separate trials about white male violence unfold across the U.S. these past few weeks, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, Ahmaud Arbery's death trial, and the civil case against organizers of the 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, I've come to a sobering conclusion. There is nothing more frightening in America today than an angry white man. Um, it would be hard to find a more moronic op-ed than this on the internet anywhere in the last couple of weeks. I mean, this is really next level stuff in terms of intellectual worthlessness and uh, really reckless in its intent and stupidity. Uh, what else can you say about it other than it seems that there is an element on the left that believes the bashing of whiteness and white males in particular as a constant in American society is somehow going to be a good thing that leads to happy outcomes. And they're wrong. Stephen Colbert allegedly a comedian, or perhaps formerly a comedian, now a political pundit and not a very good one, out there telling everybody that with Rittenhouse, if he didn't break the law, which he clearly didn't, which is why he was found not guilty on all counts, and based on the facts, those were the correct findings. No one can argue other. There's no, there's no legal finding to argue, really, here. There's nothing for them to say. He was attacked, he defended himself. That's the law. That's what the law says. So now Stephen Colbert wants them to change the law. Big news on Friday was that after being accused of crossing state lines, killing two people and wounding another last year during a Black Lives Matter protest, Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted on all counts. Okay. Yeah, okay, cards on the table. I'm not a legal expert. So I can't tell you whether or not Kyle Rittenhouse broke the law. But I can tell you this. If he didn't break the law, we should change the law. Yeah, he's not a comedy expert either. Let's, let's just unpack this for a second, shall we? Um, change the law how? 
If you listen to one of the prosecutors in the case, it would seem that the position of the Democrat left with the prosecutors, I know technically the state of Wisconsin, but really the prosecutors in this case were representing, which is the Democrat left, uh, their position is if the mob is angry and wants to beat you to death, you have to allow them to do that. You're not allowed to defend yourself. The mob is righteous, you see. It stands for BLM. Therefore, they want to beat you to death or just beat you senseless. That, that's the price you have to pay to live in America today. Actually not. Kyle Rittenhouse showed us that that's not the case. Sorry, Libs. Chief Minister Gunner in Australia. This guy's getting a lot of attention recently. And he's one of these that uh, will say, if you oppose COVID mandates for the vaccine, you are, quote, anti-vax. Watch the dishonesty. If you are anti-mandate, you are absolutely anti-vax. I don't care what your personal vaccination status is. If you support, champion, give a green light, give comfort to, support anybody who argues against the vaccine, you are an anti-vaxxer, absolutely. Your personal vaccination status is utterly irrelevant. If you campaign against the mandate, if you campaign against people being vaccinated in vulnerable settings, teachers in classrooms, I'll be really clear, at that point in time, people were actually supporting the idea of a teacher being unvaccinated in a remote community classroom with kids who cannot be vaccinated. I reject that, I still reject it. And if you are out there in any way, shape or form campaigning against this mandate, you are absolutely anti-vax. Fascism with a funny accent, huh? Land down under, that's what we're up against now. What is he even talking about? Anti-mandate means you're anti-vax. No, no, no. Language has meaning. Anti-mandate means you're anti-mandate. Speaking of mandates, a new one in Santa Cruz County. You got to hear this to believe it. An indoor mask mandate now in effect in Santa Cruz County covers private settings like a home. If you are getting together with others who don't live in the same household, the county says you should mask up regardless of vaccination status. Businesses are also required to follow the guidelines. You can take off your mask when eating or drinking because, you know, the virus stops while you're eating or drinking. People who institute this are morons and people who follow it willingly are sheep. True of so much of Fauciism, the left never gets tired of it, though, do they? Because of all that delicious and wonderful control. Real quick, Joe Biden goes full Ron Burgundy. Check it out. A lot of innovation. Because of the actions we've taken, things have begun to change. End of quote. In the past three weeks, the number... <laughs> end, of, end of quote. <laughs> Joe Biden. That's ever hold the line. The news of Bill O'Reilly's up next. Shields high.